0: Men to News and Views with Tom Lambert. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear.
1: Juneteenth has been known by many names. A national holiday.
0: The first that our nation will celebrate all together. For
2: black folks, it's been a holiday. But we'll share the holiday with everybody else, no problem. Tropical threat in the Gulf of Mexico.
0: This weather event will be focused on rain. Put a stop to the tide of voter suppression. The federal government taking over elections. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Laprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is News and Views for a Friday getting ready for the weekend. And uh, down at Warhead City, not not a lot of action today. Just 10 boats are sitting out this fifth day of the Big Rock Blue Marlin Tournament. This is according to WITN. Fishermen are being greeted with southwest winds, 5 to 10 knots, and seas of 2 to feet, 3 feet. And um, right now, looking at the leaderboard, the natural is in first place with a 521.6-pound uh, marlin, outnumbered at 512, widespread at 479, following seas at 448, anticipation 446, and dancing outlaw at 419. Um Record number of boats this year. The winner could walk away with $1.6 million in total prize money. WITN is reporting federal investigators are expecting um, later this afternoon at the site of a deadly crop duster crash outside of Kinston. The FAA says it was an air tractor AT204B single engine turboprop. It was a crop duster is basically what it was. The pilot of the plane was the only person on board, and apparently there was an individual spectator at a drag race down south of Kinston, a drag strip on Highway 11 south. Uh, He was taking video at the time, and uh, you can actually see the aircraft going down. Apparently it caught on fire, uh, crashed, and uh, the, the pilot was killed. The pilot was the only person in the plane at the time. His name has not yet been released. Authorities say three people are uh, dead after um, a tubing accident on the Dan River up near Eden, North Carolina. There's a dam up there related to the uh, Duke Energy Plant, and uh, a group of uh, five went over the dam in fl- inflatable tubes. Not a good idea. And uh, three died Two are remaining missing, and uh, a couple of others ended up in the hospital. So I guess at at total there were seven involved in this uh, issue that uh, took place Thursday night. Uh, Again, no uh, names have yet been released. PJ Media, along with a number of other media outlets, are reporting that Catholic bishops who have come together for an assembly had gotten together and they were talking about, okay, what do we do with the fact that we have a number of Catholic politicians, especially in the United States, but frankly, all over the world, and this was the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. They were most concerned with the likes of, frankly, they didn't mention them by name, but Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and others, Catholics who claimed to be good Catholics, And yet, when it comes to following Catholicism, the Catholic doctrine, they're nowhere near following it as they should. So earlier today, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops overwhelmingly drafted a statement on the sacrament of the Eucharist, commonly known as communion, the Lord's Supper, as Protestants would call it, clarifying whether or not politicians who advocate for the killing of unborn babies the erosion of religious freedom, and the redefinition of marriage and sexuality, people like Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, whether or not they should be disciplined by not receiving the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, which Roman Catholics believe becomes the literal body and blood of Christ. I mean, this is, in the Catholic Church, this is a a very important part of their belief system and their practice, and up to now, most of the time, Joe Biden just waltzes in and, you know, go ahead and participate in the Lord's Supper along with Nancy Pelosi. You know, Nancy Pelosi, a few years ago, she said, well, she, she started talking about all the kids she has and the fact that she's now a grandmother. And she says, frankly, I think I know more about having children than the Pope does. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops voted 73% in favor and 24% opposed to withhold the Lord's Supper from the likes of Joe Biden, and essentially from the likes of Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and, and other politicians who basically shoot the bird at Catholic doctrine. While the text of the proposal remains unwritten, a proposed outline claimed it would include the theological foundation for the church's discipline concerning the reception of Holy Communion. The proposal, once drafted, will require two-thirds majority of the vote to become binding. Well, three-quarters voted for this. The bishops will likely vote on the statement in November. Now, even if they approve the statement, only a local bishop or the Pope can determine who can and cannot receive the sacrament of communion. So I imagine there might be a lot of fudging on this. But again, remember a couple of years back, a priest down in Florence, South Carolina, Joe Biden was down there during the campaign and he went there to the Mass. And this uh, priest just said, Nope, not for you, Joe. The New York Times reporter, Elizabeth Dias, suggested that the motivations behind the vote are more political than religious. So far, Republicans are not having much luck demonizing Biden. (laughs) They don't need to demonize Biden. Biden is his own worst enemy. So she goes on to say, so they're testing abortion as a potential issue on which to criticize him. As they did with transgender athletes in youth sports and critical race theory, said Mike Micus, uh, a political consultant in Pittsburgh who advises Democratic campaigns. See, liberals such as this Mike Micus and this Eliza, uh, this New York Times uh, reporter Elizabeth Deas, th- these liberals can't possibly imagine that people actually have deep-seated moral values that they actually would submit themselves to a higher moral authority, that they actually believe God's word is literal and they want to follow it. They actually want to follow it. So what do liberals say? Oh, this isn't religious conviction. This is merely moral opportunism. They go on to say the point is to mobilize Republicans. It's all a play to the base. Yet Bishop Rhodes, Kevin Rhodes, who leads the U.S. Conference of Bishop Catholics, of Catholic bishops, I should say, Um, and he heads up the Committee on Doctrine, which put forward this resolution, said in a news conference that the upcoming midterm and presidential elections never entered my mind or the committee's minds. Indeed, the central issue at stake is not the political stance of Joe Biden, but the integrity of the Roman Catholic Church. The Church has made its positions on abortion, marriage, and gender clear, rooting these doctrines in the Bible and church tradition, the widespread presence of self-proclaimed Catholics who not only disagree with these positions, but actively aim to force payments for abortion, celebrations of same-sex marriage, and the performance of transgender surgery on Americans who object is devastating uh, scandal for the church. When Biden took the oath of office in January of 2021, the head of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops issued a historic rebuke of the president, Biden has fought to resurrect an Obama HHS rule that would force Roman Catholic doctors to perform transgender surgery in violation of Catholic teaching. He vigorously supports the Equality Act, which explicitly guts the 1993 Religious Freedom Restoration Act, a bill which Biden himself voted for back when he was in the Senate. Biden has also excluded the Hyde Amendment from his federal budget proposal, fighting to force pro-life taxpayers to unwittingly fund abortion. Earlier this week, the Vatican nixed a plan for Biden to receive communion from Pope Francis. The um, Conference of the Bishops should clarify the limits of the communion, not just because of Joe Biden's radical anti-religious freedom stances, but because the left in general is becoming extremely hostile to the unborn and to those who dissent from LGBT orthodoxy. If Catholicism does not involve adherence to the Catholic doctrine on these fundamental issues, or at the very least, a respect for Catholics' religious freedom to live by them, what kind of flagrant disregard for the Church can can nominal Catholics not get away with? You know, I will say this. Now, I I do not agree with all Catholic doctrine. Uh, I'm a Protestant. I'm uh, a Reformed uh, Christian. I would fall under the category of Calvinism, if you want to uh, put me in a certain category. But um, I, I've got to say, um, the Catholic Church is leading the way on these moral issues, and uh, God bless them for it. I mean, for for this vote, seventy three percent and twenty four percent opposed. You know, I don't know that the Southern Baptist uh, I don't know that the Southern Baptist Church would have that high of a vote. In all honesty, I, I really don't. Just this week. They had an opportunity to choose between, they had actually four people running for the president of the Southern Baptist Conference, and uh, it came down to one man that was very conservative, another man that uh, uh, appears to me to be sort of middle of the road, a little bit more progressive, and they voted for the progressive. So I'm not even sure, and if you're Southern Baptist, I I know it it varies from congregation to congregation, but... um, I, I, and a lot of evangelical denominations that are supposed to be very conservative and so are supposed to be adhering to the Bible, they're just more and more just sort of winking and nodding to these issues that have biblical importance that are, 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 are black and white. They're not gray. And yet a lot of these progressives that have entered into the evangelical church are making them gray, are turning them gray, so, I, you know what, my hat's off to the Catholic Church and these uh, bishops that have uh, gone against what the politically correct is, would say is intolerable. And again, you've got this Mike Micus Mike, and uh, Elizabeth Diaz from the New York Times who immediately say, oh, you know, this is just about politics, you know. Uh, again, uh, progressives and liberals cannot believe that it's I- impossible. H- how, how can you possibly believe and embrace this stuff? They did. God bless them. And we're going to take an early time out. When we come back, we're looking forward to talking to John Hood. That's the same John Hood who writes for the Carolina Journal. You see him on uh, lots of talk shows, uh, conservative commentary. Uh, Well, he's coming out doing something a little different now in addition to his other duties. We'll talk to him about it when we get back. Stay with us
1: your drive at 5, and ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7.
0: Welcome back in. Looking forward to a good-looking weekend. Tomorrow, lots of sunshine. Uh, Just a very, very slight chance of rain on Sunday. Uh, Highs tomorrow in the 90s, highs Sunday in the 80s. Lows both nights uh, this weekend in the 70s. Looks like it's going to be a nice weekend to get out and enjoy. Our listeners are no doubt familiar with John Hood and his conservative commentary via newspaper columns, his appearance on many different talk shows, numerous articles in the Carolina Journal. But now John is venturing out into new territory with a just-released novel entitled Mountain Folk. John joins me now to talk about his new book. John, welcome in. Good to have you with us.
2: Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it.
0: Uh, now, this is not your first book, but this is a novel. Uh, It's—I uh, would think—it's uh, significantly, uh, uh, you know, for your for your talents. Uh, you know, you, you deal with politics all the time. To to have a paradigm shift like this into uh, a, a little bit of fiction is uh, an, an interesting turn of events in your life.
2: Well, I, I suppose that that some of my critics would say that my seven previous books, which were nonfiction, were really fiction. <laughs> uh, but, but, so, I, yes, I have written a, a number of books about economic history, political history in America and North Carolina. Uh, this novel is set during the American Revolution, largely in North Carolina. And it's not just a historical novel, it's a historical fantasy novel, so it has real-life characters like Daniel Boone and George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and so forth, but it also has magical characters, uh, elves and, and other kinds of fairies, dwarves, uh, who in my The world of mountain folk, they live in America in sort of remote locations. It, it sounds like a bizarre midlife crisis moment, I admit, <laughs> but the truth is that while it is a tale of, adventure and, and frontier life and uh, America and its founding, um, it does have some important themes in it. Uh, it. It's fun, but it's fun with a purpose. Uh, w- we all know that there is a great deal of revisionism going on about American
0: history. Oh yeah. oh, yeah.
2: Quite literally, heroes are being yanked down. Figuratively, lots of heroes are being toppled off their pedestals, and sometimes literally
0: statues oh, yeah.
2: and, and other works of art. Uh my view is not that we should have an uncritical look at our past and, indeed, at American heroes. It's important to know that our heroes did heroic things, but they weren't perfect, that just about everybody who ever wielded power in our country who meant well sometimes made mistakes or got tempted to abuse power. That That's real, and we should learn that. But my view about American heroes is that we need more of them. We don't right. need fewer of them. Right. We, we don't need to be yanking yanking people out of, the, out of the pantheon of America, we need to be adding some. So some of my characters, real-life characters, are people that I do think that Americans should know more about. Uh, non Yehi is one of the heroes of my novel. She's a Cherokee woman. In her youth, she was actually a war woman. She fought in, in battle, led her people to victory in a battle over a, a neighboring tribe, but later in life became a peacemaker during the American Revolution and was torn between some of her people who allied with the British and attacked the Carolina frontier, and others who didn't want to participate in that war because they thought it would end badly for the Cherokee, which it did. So I think that Nanya he is one, one of many people that uh, my readers will meet that they may not know very much about. And as we go through subsequent novels, this is actually the first of a series of novels I'm writing along this theme. Uh, my goal is to absolutely hold up our traditional American folk heroes for a new generation to enjoy, Daniel Boone, Davy Crockett, uh, lots of other people like that, but also to learn some new, uh, or maybe not so new, but some not well enough understood American heroes who fought for America's principles, even though they were slaves, even though they were uh, Indians who had been excluded from rights, even though they were women who were insisting on Additional rights; they they lacked a lot of formal power sometimes, but were still heroic actors in the story. And that's what I try to explain. Again, this is mostly an adventure book. I mean, there are there are escapes and knife fights and sword fights, and Daniel Boone fights a giant fire breathing salamander, (laughs) which I'm I'm sure you never expected me to say that sentence on your show, Tom. But
0: Uh, that's different. But it's all it's all
2: in fun, in a sense. But not really. There really are some important themes about American history and heritage and heroes here.
0: Well, well, it, it's and by the way, for our listeners, if you want to know more, you can go to the website mountainfolkbook.com. And John has done a series of 10 short video clips. They're probably f- three to five minutes each where he talks about right. different aspects of the book. And it is really re- very interesting. But one of the things that was sort of a question mark that I had is – It almost appears like these are a number of short stories, but I'm assuming that there's got to be, as a a novel, there's a theme throughout all the chapters. Uh, How how exactly have you tied it together?
2: Yeah, there is a theme. This is a novel. I mean, the, the, the discrete episodes or discrete adventures that my characters have uh, sometimes a chapter might feel like a short story, but it's all part of a longer narrative. And okay. It starts with Daniel Boone and his family moving to North Carolina in the 1750s, takes you through the French and Indian War and the American Revolution and the founding of the country, uh, and ends in, in the early 1790s. So it's, it's it spans a fair amount of time. You see somebody like Daniel Boone start out as a, a young man and end up as a grizzled veteran. Um, but mm. there, there there is a theme here, and... I hope that people both enjoy it and appreciate the celebration of America. We can expand what we mean by American heroes and American heritage uh, without tearing things down and pretending that America was founded on a lie or founded on a an evil principle, which is simply not the case.
0: Now, when I went through these series of videos, it appears that there's a little bit of nexus to uh, the folks here in eastern North Carolina. I know you did one of the videos, I guess two of the videos, over in Bath and one down at the uh, Tyrone uh, Palace down in New Bern. Is there a connection to eastern North Carolina? Uh,
2: There are some connections. Eastern North Carolina is featured even more prominently in the second novel in the series, which will come out next year. But there are references, for example, to to the construction of what was called Tryon Palace and how angry that made the frontier people and led some of them to move over the mountains into what is now Tennessee and Kentucky. Hmm. A lot of the action happens in the mountain area because, of course, the name of the book is Mountain Folk. And what's striking about that period of our history is a lot of those frontier people, they weren't all that crazy about the revolution because the revolution was being led by the Eastern elites that they were fleeing. And so they were tempted by British agents. They were tempted not to participate. Now, that I uh, resolved that conflict in the book, but it, it's an interesting part of our history we don't know enough about. American Revolution was a civil war, as much as it right. was. I mean, yeah, it a lot of British people aligned
0: themselves with, uh, with the king. They did, oh. and
2: some, many Indian tribes did, too, which is a big part of the book, is the relationship between the Cherokees and the frontier people.
0: You know, when I heard you describe your book, uh, in and uh, you and I have been texting back and forth and getting you on the air, but uh, also looking at these videos, J.R.R. Tolkien came to mind. Uh, was are, are you a fan of Tolkiens?
2: Absolutely, and that's exactly the right image. Just imagine if the American Revolution were an epic fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's what I'm trying to do here. That's a pretty big, sweeping story, even though there's some individuals that we focus a lot on. And that's what I got from Tolkien and other writers like that, Lord of the Rings and other writers, is you have a big, sweeping, gigantic story that means a great deal. But you've also got to focus on the conflicts and the personalities of of key characters that the reader identifies with. I have some human characters like that, and I have some fairy characters like that.
0: You know, what's interesting, though, Tolkien, all he had to do—and uh, I'm not trying to make it sound simple. I mean, he, I, he, I, I love his work, and I've read his work, and, you know, he's he's a genius. But it was—you know, it, he basically just had to dig down into his imagination, and, and I'm sure his life experiences played into, you know, his final products, his final books— but I would think you not only had to come up with your imagination, but you also had to do your history work. You had to go check your facts as your as your because I'm I'm assuming you're trying to on the historical part. You're trying to be fairly accurate there, are you not?
2: Oh yes, I mean this this was probably the most deeply researched book I've ever written. Even though it is a fiction book, it's got a lot of history in it. I made sure that a lot of the a lot of the historical facts and, and times. I don't put characters together unless they could have actually, in real life, been in the same place at the same time. Spent a lot of time studying battles and how they how they unfold. I even went to some of the locations and walked them and had to mm. revise the chapter because I realized I had, for example, some people running along a field and actually it's a, it's a steep slope and they couldn't have run up it. So mm. I changed the the action. So I try very hard to make this to the, even to the d- details of which seeds of the Cherokee women crushed to dye their baskets, little, little, just little details like that that make it feel more like real life, even though you're also dealing with uh, fairy creatures and a giant sea monster.
0: We're talking to John Hood about his new book, Mountain Folk. You can find out more about it at mountainfolkbook.com. How long did it take you to write this, John? I mean, if you include the research and everything else, I, I, this is a multi-year project, certainly, isn't it?
2: Well, uh, it didn't. it wasn't that way. Uh, because some of this history I had already known a lot about, uh, it took me about uh, about five or
0: six months. Wow. To, to do. I'm impressed.
2: Um, well, I, something you probably have already figured out about me, Thomas, I don't really take time off very well. So this was something I did primarily on the weekends. Um, some people would watch TV or play outside, and I was sitting in a in, in a computer or in a library delving into – old memoirs and history books, folklore guides, and developing the world of mountain folk. I enjoyed it. I mean, I hope readers do, too, but frankly, I enjoyed the process myself. H-
0: have you gotten feedback? I mean, as, as it's gone out there, obviously, this is your first venture into a novel. What, what kind of response have you heard so far?
2: Well, people are enjoying it. They're They're often surprised. They didn't quite know what to expect. They particularly like, North Carolina readers like the fact that a fair amount of it happens in North Carolina, particularly in the early part of the novel, so they recognize places. The, the main fairy nation that is part of this story lives on top of Pilot Mountain, up near uh, north of Winston-Salem, right. um, and so I, I have some things in there that North Carolinians will particularly enjoy, but my readers around the country that I've been hearing from, uh, what they enjoy most is this notion that it's historically accurate. Plus monsters.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it, it sort of reminds me not only J.R. Tolkien, but it so, sort of reminds me of uh, Rush Limbaugh. Uh, you know, he had those Rush Revere books come out. Now they were aimed at children, uh, right. teaching them history while they're having a good time. And it sounds like this is might be sort of an adult version of that.
2: That's right. This is sort of a this is sort of a teen and, and adult version of that idea. Um, but, yes, someone else mentioned the Lundell books to me today. I hadn't really thought about that. I read some of those back in the day. But it is the, that is the category here. It's historical with some flights of fancy mixed together.
0: Well, I haven't read it yet, but I am going to. I'm going to get it. I'm going to read it. And uh, now the next one you're working on right now, I guess, is... Um uh, mountain the next, uh, one is called, folk? the
2: next one is called forest folk okay yes. so each of the novels in the series will be a different mountain folk is the first novel forest folk is the second novel that occurs mostly uh during the the early 1800s through the the war of 1812 and into the 1830s the third book will be called water folk and will involve the Alamo and the Mexican war and adventure on the high seas so we'll see we'll see how many of them uh, my my uh late 50s stamina will um, (laughs) degenerate. But so far, I've really enjoyed it. I was telling an audience last night, one of the fun things about this is that the characters sometimes didn't do what I wanted them to do. Um, You create Hmm. characters, and you have a basic outline. You expect this action to go a certain way. Sometimes the logic of the characters you've developed and the situations you've already written kind of lead you to a different outcome. I had some events that I thought I was going to write into Hmm. Mountain Folk, it didn't end up happening because, you know, not to be too silly about it, but basically my characters refused to follow my direction. It just didn't make <laughs> sense for them to do what I had thought they were going to do. The logic of the story and of their personalities led me to a different a different ending that I didn't expect. So even I was waiting, you know, for for the next chapter, what's going to happen next?
0: Well that that's an interesting point i've always i I've, I've never begun to sit down at my computer and begin to write a book. I mean, I do a lot of writing, but uh, mm-hmm. i I've never in book form, but I've always thought how would you go about something like this as you approach this, did you have an opening and a middle and a conclusion already in your mind, or was it as you went through okay, what's gonna happen next?
2: Well, I had an outline of the entire book, chapter by chapter, uh, and that's the way I've written all of my books. Of course, the previous nonfiction books, you sort of have to do it that way. Right. What I found is that I more or less stuck to my outline, but there were certain details and certain developments that I had expected to include later in the book. That when I got, by the time I got there, writing everything out the way I was, I realized that's not the right answer. That's not the right outcome. That's not what that character would do. So, some of the specifics change, but the general outline I followed, I I find that I have to do that so that I have some sense of where I'm going.
0: There you go. Interesting stuff, uh, John. Uh, Thanks for coming on and sharing with us uh, about this. And we encourage our folks to go to uh, the website it's mountainfolkbook.com. And I like your website because not only can you order the book there, but it really does give you a lot of insights into what the book is about. As I mentioned, there's, there's 10 little video clips of John on location at these different areas where uh, the different chapters take place. He's up at Pilot Mountain and um, one of the segments. He's uh, down in New Bern at one. He's in, in Bath in a couple of them. So that, that, your website was very well done. I, I really appreciated that.
2: Well, I appreciate that. It was fun. There's even a map
0: yeah, yeah. That
2: you can find that you can sort of figure out where the, where the real-life places are and the places that I've imagined.
0: Okay, all right. Well, I look forward to uh, to getting it, and it sounds like a good summertime read. If you're going down to the beach and you're looking for something to read as you're uh, sitting under the umbrella, grab Mountain Folk, and you can find more about it at mountainfolkbook.com. Thank you, John. Have a great weekend. Look forward to talking to you again soon.
2: Thank
0: you much. You bet. Stay with us. More news and views coming up.
2: This 4th of July... We'll begin our summer of freedom. We get back to doing the things
0: we love. Like spending trillions and trillions of dollars and getting together with family and friends. We'll celebrate our independence from this virus and from the borders. uh, er, I said I would go to the border. But why bother? It's the summer of freedom. (laughs) Be prepared. (laughs) We'll build back better or for worse with Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Now back to news and views with Tom Lambert and Benny Hardy. Benny is off today. He'll be back on Monday. Megan Rapino, the uh, U.S. soccer star for women. Uh, she's also apparently the new face of Victoria's Secret. Uh, I, I'm not trying, you know, Victoria's Secrets, I'm not sure, guys, that you've got a good marketing plan. <laughs> I, I'm just saying. Megan Rapino and apparently the Victoria's Secret Angels are going to be a little heftier. I I, I don't get it. I I don't get your marketing plan. I anyway. I, that's fine. You know, it's I I barely go there anyway. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been there, but uh, I'm just saying. It's just an interesting marketing plan. Anyway, I digress. Megan Rapino, um, she is now um, in trouble for a tweet that she sent out May 19th, 2011, more than 10 years ago. And they are now saying she is racist because she tweeted to a friend under her picture. This, this friend sent her a picture. And the tr- tweet she sent back was, you look Asian with those closed eyes. And now people are accusing her of being a racist. <laughs> look, I'm not a Megan Rapino fan. But give it a break, people. Give it a break. I, I mean, is it is it racist? to say that person has Asian-looking eyes. Is that a racist statement? I mean, don't most Asians have similar eyes as compared to other ethnicities? And how is that racist? Nobody says they're ugly eyes or poor eyes or I'm glad I don't have those eyes. They just said you look like an Asian. Who gives a rip? Man, the sensitivity stuff is – let it go. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot issued a declaration yesterday decrying systemic racism as a public health crisis and announcing that the city would divert $10 million in grants from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, meant to be used to address the COVID-19 pandemic to establish healthy Chicago equity zones. What the heck does that mean? And quite frankly, if you're with the CDC, go ask for your money back. A $10 million grant to deal with COVID, and she's going to on her own. I I don't know how she has the authority to do this on her own. She's going to divert it to healthy Chicago equity zones. Quote, at almost every point in our city's history, sadly, racism is taking a devastating toll on the health and well-being of our residents of color, and particularly those who are black. Lightfoot said at a press conference on Thursday, without formally acknowledging this history and reality, and the continuing impact of that infamous legacy, looking at the root causes of today's challenges, we will never be able to move forward as a city and fully provide our communities with the resources that we need to live happy, vibrant, and fulfilled lives. What the heck does that mean? I mean, mean, she and Biden ought to get together, and we'd have no idea what either one of them are talking about. Lightfoot noted that, not even overt racism that poses a significant health crisis, but rather the effects of systemic racism, which she said has a deadly impact on physical and mental well-being. Quote, when we think about racism, many of us think about it in visible and audible forms, but the reality is this insidious nature of systemic racism has other impacts that are every bit as deep and harmful but often ones that we can't see, like the impacts on the psyche and other impacts on our bodies that are just as just and if not more deadly, Lightfoot said. Uh, My friends, this is a bunch of gooey horse manure. And listen, I guarantee you this. Somebody needs to go up there and track this $10 million. When you have a liberal that on their own decides they're going to divert $10 million for something that they think is a more worthy issue, I guarantee you that a large portion of that $10 million will end up in the pockets of a select few. And you know exactly what I'm saying. And this other crap, I'm sorry, I just, systemic racism. Systemic, systemic, the word systemic means complete universal, total, general, you might say systemic racism, they would say, is a system of racism. And as I've said this before, I'll say it again. Yes, there is a system of racism in our society, and its name, CRT, critical race theory. And the racists are those who are pointing the finger at the white population And saying with no proof, no evidence, you're bad, you're a problem, all of you are guilty, and therefore you must pay. That is the only systemic racism that we have right now. Interestingly, it's not blacks that are saying this. It's not a racial issue in that sense. It's an ideology issue. It is liberals. It is progressives. Some are black. Most are white. It's Marxist ideology. Lightfoot claimed in her speech that the city's efforts to battle the COVID-19 epidemic laid bare the difference in how communities of color weather a health crisis. On average, blacks in the city lived 71.4 years, while non-blacks lived 80.6 years. That gap is 9.2 years. Yes, but A, how have you concluded that is a racist issue? And by the way, go look at the stats. You will find that black women, on average, live longer than white men. So are we going to make that a racist issue? Again, I I, I just said it. I'll say it again. This is not a race issue. This is an ideology issue. It's progressives that have bought into critical race theory. And whether you're black or whether you're white or whether you're Native American or whether you're Asian, whatever your ethnicity. And look, there's one race. It's called the human race. We've got n- numerous ethnicities, but there's one race. An Illinois father by the name of Ty Smith knows that. He's, this is cut to Clark. Ty Smith said this last night at an Illinois edu- Board of Education meeting. He got it right.
1: We'll be teaching kids how to hate each other. How to dislike each other? That's pretty much. What it's gonna, that's pretty much I don't care what say. It's pretty much what it's going to all come down to. You're going to deliberately teach kids this white kid right here got it better than you because he white. You're going to purposely tell a white kid. Oh, the black people are all down and suppressed. How do I have two medical degrees if I'm sitting here oppressed? Yeah. How do I get? First of all, wait, right, up, because I only got five minutes now. Not five minutes. Two medical degrees. No mom, no dad in the house. Worked my way through college. Sat there and hustled my butt off to get through college. You going to tell me somebody look looked like all y'all white folks kept me from doing that? Are you serious? Not one white person ever came to me say, well, son, you're never going to be able to get nowhere because you know the black people. But guess what? What's sickening about this whole thing is what y'all doing right now is already something I do in my community right now to speak out against it because black folks are getting told by other black folks. Oh, you know you ain't going to be able to do nothing out there in the world because them white folks ain't going to let you get no." Oh, you know you're not going to be able to do it because the the, the white man, the white man going to keep you down. Well, how did I get where I am right now if some white man kept me down? How am I now directing over folks that look just like you guys in this room right now? How? What, what, what kept me down what oppressed me? I worked for myself from off the streets to where I am right now you gonna sit there and tell me this lot of critical race theory of this this, this the reason why black folks can't get ahead because of white folks are you kidding me? This is what we come to now I can't believe we've even talking about this right now. The last thing I'm gonna say right here is something that's crazy. Martin Luther King said he wanted his kids to grow up in a world where they are judged by the contents of their what Care. their character not their skin. If they let this stuff go on right now, it is absolutely doing the complete reverse of what he's doing. So when February comes, don't talk about Martin Luther King. When February comes, don't talk about black kids. The mother y'all going sit there and just pee, must pee on his grave with this nonsense? That's exactly what's about to happen. Lastly, we are talking about our kids. We are talking about our children. What's so sickening about me? I love the Discovery Channel. You will see that on the Discovery Channel, animals will put their lives on the line to protect their children from yeah. danger. Yeah. Nobody want to get to the heart of the matter, get to the meat of the matter, get to the moral of the story. But it all comes down to it: the person that's going to be suffering from this, the one's going to be hurt from this, is the kids. Yeah. Ten years from now, if this stuff goes on, who fault
0: is it going to be? Ty Smith had it right. He it? goes on and uh, he he had he had that board spellbound. African American, black doctor, two medical degrees, and he said, "You know what? Uh, quit. In essence, quit being the victim." Quit being the victim. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
1: Back to news and views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7.
0: Welcome back in. There is um, an interesting story out of uh, Georgia. The Fulton County election board is in a mess. A contractor hired by the Georgia Secretary of State, Rafsenberger to monitor election counting in Fulton County uh, wrote, and he wrote this back right after the election in November. It's just now come out. And what's interesting about this is Rafsenberger came out after the election, after there was some controversy, after there were accusations, after Donald Trump said, hey, we've got issues down here. And Rasenberger came out. Oh no! It was it was a great election. There's no issues. That we it was this is pi- pi- picture perfect. No problems at all. Uh, no, uh, according to this 29-page memo, which came out back in November, there was massive election integrity failures. There was all kinds of mis- mismanagement that he witnessed. Um, he actually, and uh, this is documented. Some of the people that were hired by a firm to help count the ballots and process the ballots, um, one of the individuals said to another one of the individuals from this temp service, um, said the name of the temp service was Happy Faces. He basically came in and said, I plan to blankety blank, blank, blank things up. And you can fill in the blanks. Um, There were a number of ballots that came in that were counted multiple times. The the security of the ballots was highly, highly questionable. They weren't sealed. Uh, They were very loose with security. And uh, again, remember, this is primarily Fulton County, but that's Atlanta. And remember that Joe Biden only won Georgia by 12,000 votes. Now, you know, and what, what did we hear right after the election? Oh, well, there might have been some small little issues here and there, but nothing that would change the outcome of the election, really. Uh, I, we haven't heard the end of this, and we're still waiting on uh, Maricopa County in Arizona for their audits. Hey, listen, have a great weekend. The weather's going to be good. Our thanks again to John Hood. Go to mountainfolkbook.com if you want to know more about his new novel. And we'll see you on Monday. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.